This is the Cover 2 Podcast with Don Banks and Nick Stevens. Brady on the deep drop, stands in, fires down the middle for Gronkowski, makes the grab at the 45, going away from defenders. He's gone to the 20, to the 10, to the 5, to the end zone. The Cover 2 Podcast on Patriots.com. The play fake and the throw to the end zone for Antonio Brown. Touchdown, Pittsburgh. Nobody covers the NFL like the guys from Cover 2. Eight different receivers have caught a pass from Matt Ryan today. He's looking to throw again. Wide open, Julio Jones passes, and in the end zone, touchdown, Falcons. Now, Don Banks and Nick Stevens. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Cover 2 Podcast with Banks and Stevens. I'm Don Banks, one of your co-hosts and my podcast partner in crime, Nick Stevens. Good morning, Nick. We are 92 days away from meaningful football, 95 days away from Patriots football. Don, right outside that door, right outside that door, Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski. Did they show up? I, I missed that headline. You hadn't heard? No. Yeah. Was that reported? Mm-hmm. Anyone? How, have you ever seen something the, something more visually meaningless retweeted more yesterday? Yeah. Brady literally just running down that sidewalk onto the field is 10,000 shutter, but and just, morning, guys. And people freaked out. It was like the Beatles landing at JFK. Timely oh. reference, but wow. Overblown team activities, OTAs. Oh, look that's, at you. That's what we're calling them. Uh, it, it was, I'm sure it was good for Patriots fans to see it. I, I still maintain that we're not going to be thinking about uh, early June in um, mid-September. Uh, but we'll see. What was he, uh, 21 or 25 or something? Brady can totally claim that he was working his deep ball. We saw that, that sweet pass he threw in Monaco to that. Indy, the Monaco racing not, not champion on the boat. <laughs> uh, yeah, first day back, he was 21 for 25. Uh, some nice deep balls to Kenny Britt, who tweaked a hamstring. But it makes me think that maybe Kenny Britt's going to be the secret weapon for the Patriots this year if they were working out the old Britt to words, Brady magic. Words never strung together in exactly that order. You in know somewhere in history. a bar right now, someone's like, guy, totally, Britt can totally be the new Moss. They uh, they weren't too high on Kenny Britt nah. last season in uh, Cleveland. But Belichick takes the I trash know. of Cleveland and turns it into Foxborough gold. So what do we got? We got McCourty and Britt coming out of Cleveland. That's Anybody right. else? Any other refugees? Uh, Danny Shelton. Danny Shelton, another right. refugee. Not an easy guy to miss. No. No. A lot of Cleveland refugees turning into Patriot starters. But, of course, the Kenny Britt ball was uh, in the byline that I read in the story. It was... Uh, this, my six least favorite words. Kenny Britt with a deep touchdown from Tom Brady with Eric Rowe trailing in coverage. Let's hope Eric Rowe makes everyone eat their words. I was triggered. Hey, we got a good show today. We have uh, a couple guests, and you'll know them well. One is Mike Pereira, who's obviously the Fox Sports NFL and college football rules analyst, former longtime VP of officiating for the NFL, himself a former NFL official, 14 years in the league, 14-year collegiate football officiating career. Mike's always, one, he's wonderfully blunt and outspoken. Uh, two, he, he's concise and cuts through a lot of the haze that can exist in terms of NFL rulebook. Um, he's going to be joining us here in a little bit from his home in Sacramento, California, right before he takes the golf course, I'm told. Uh, and then later in the show, we're going to have... ESPN NFL insider Adam Schefter, the information man uh, par excellence. And he's going to talk to us about a kind of quick trip around the NFL news cycle. Obviously, it's a good bit of how he lives his life each and every day. Adam and I go way back. We both kind of started on the NFL beat in the spring of 1990. Adam was a Broncos beat writer, and I was put on the Bucks beat that year. So um, hopefully we're going to have him. Uh, and Mike Pereira today to talk all things NFL. I think, though, we have to at least start um, with the Eagles' White House visit saga, which um, obviously everyone now knows well. They did not make one. Uh, They were disinvited after it looked very apparent that there was going to be, let's say, low participation. Well, when you go from, like, when you pretty much should just call off the party when— 71 R- your paperless post goes out and you get 71 RSVPs and then it goes down to 10. That was uh, was it 71 or 81 that were supposed yeah, to I attend? It's going to be 81, excuse yeah. me. So 81 are supposed to come and then it goes down to 10. Less than 10. Yeah. I never thought the Eagles were going to go because you know uh social media influencers like Chris Long have long been critical of Malcolm Jenkins. Yeah, and Malcolm Jenkins uh, both 
participating heavily in uh, social forward policies and programs off the field, but very critical of the president. I never thought, and like Eric Blunt, I didn't think he was going to show up. I never thought for a chance that these Eagles were going to show up. But now I think you can safely say that any team visiting the White House, that tradition is blowed up. It's done. No one's going because you saw what the Cavs and the Warriors said. I'm willing to say that whoever the next president is, that tradition could return. It could be like just a segment in in history. But I'll acknowledge that it is probably looked at differently going forward. It's it's too divisive at this point yeah, because it, it is. It is. Remember, divisive. Brady doesn't show up when Obama's in office. Tim and, Thomas, right? Tim Thomas doesn't show up because he was critical Bruins of Obama. Tender. That caused a whole stir around here. It goes way back. Larry Bird didn't show once in the Reagan era. Uh, that's because he was hungover. I don't know. Or, or it could be that he thought it was a, a dumb event and he didn't right. like the dog and pony show element to it. Who knows? Could have been the case. But um, yeah, I don't think it was overtly political in Bird's case, but who knows? But I think it has become like everything in our society, just just it's so fraught now with meaning. Everybody's assigning mm-hmm. meaning, whether it's there or not. And reportedly Nick Foles was one of the few Eagles who did want to go. Super Bowl MVP Nick Foles. Regardless of which way he votes I think that strikes me as Nick Foles is the type of guy, very conservative, very traditional, high-value guy, who thinks to himself, president invites me to his house, I show up. Right. No matter the case. Yep. But going forward, I think this just has become too divisive an issue. Everyone immediately assigns some sort of a a political alignment, like, oh, well, if you went to the White House, that must mean that you You, like Democratic or Republican. You're campaigning for that guy. and absurd. You know, sadly, that's where we are. It is everybody is looking at looking through it and through the prism of their own uh, their own political beliefs. And part of what's going on now in the Trump presidency reminds me a little bit. I think people uh, that root for a particular football team, which this uh, podcast is based on the website of, can agree here. It's starting to feel Deflategate-ish in a lot of ways. In that we can't go. Remember when Deflategate was in peak form, we couldn't go a day without hearing something absurd about. You know, PSI, 11 of 12, who misquoted who. And now every, we can't go a couple days without some sort of drama with this particular White House. And the fact that something that should have been this a celebratory, magnanimous, traditional gesture turned into a war of words between the President of the United States and the mayor of Philadelphia, the Philadelphia Eagles and the White House, is absurd. What a terrible look for everybody. And it just proves to me that, again, if the league thought that they were putting the anthem controversy to bed with their new policy, man, were they naive or or just totally mistaken. Because this has given, I think, the White House new reason to target it. He's The president has even reportedly shared to confidence that he knows it's a winning political issue for him. Correct. It feeds the enthusiasm level with his base, and he's going to use it. Um, I'm forgetting who reported it yesterday, but somebody reported that he plans on using it throughout the NFL season. So there you go, NFL. There's your ultimate no-win situation. You were damned if you do, you were damned if you didn't. And, And that's where they're at. And I wonder, I'd like to ask Adam Schefter about this later in the show, I wonder if there's any chance the NFL... Goes reconvenes and modifies any part, knowing now what they know about how the reaction did not meet their expectation. Do you think the league would go rogue and fly in the face of the president's wants and reverse this policy? Because right now, to me, it feels like the players, as pawns of the owners who are kowtowing in, in part to the president and his, I, I dare I say, value drum beating, it feels like they're just getting played. Yeah. They're just getting, like, the owners wanted to look strong. But by making this move, to me, they look weak. Yeah, they actually, like I said, they don't look good in anyone's eyes. That is the ultimate no-win situation. They look weak. They look like they caved. The players have less respect for them now. And again, heading to the next labor negotiation, that wasn't the direction you wanted to go. I think in his heart of hearts, Commissioner Goodell knows that they absolutely screwed the pooch on this issue and made a a bad situation worse, ex- exponentially worse, and that no action in this case would have been the best course of action. Well, we got a president who thinks he's above the law at this point now, or so he claims. Uh, but do we have a commissioner and 32 owners who are above reproach? Can yeah. they come out and just say, 
our bad. You know, now we really thought we were putting this to bed, and all we've done is actually, you know, throw a cup of fuel, a stack of oily rags in the fire. Fuel on the fire. Yeah, I don't know. I, in some ways, I think they're probably petrified to act at all at this point because this has been such a, a blowback, and it hasn't pleased anyone. You know, they're not even getting the satisfaction of having pleased half of the country. Um, they've they've incited this issue where it had started to slow down. So um, it's hard. It's it's a, um, you know, it, it once was a ceremony that was, it was largely symbolic. It was a bit of a dog and pony show. They'd present the, whoever the president was with a jersey with number one and, right. and their name on it. And, and you took the picture and um, it was kind of cool. And now it's, you're right, there may be no going back ever. And now you've got the press secretary for the mayor of Philadelphia, trolling the White House and the President of the United States by putting out a tweet that was retweeted tens of thousands of times saying our party was bigger than yours anyway and it's a picture of the Eagles parade versus the inauguration wow. uh, I mean I, like I that no that. that was I missed ooh, that that was that was rough I, I did see that there were I believe two people that kneeled during the national uh, took a took a knee during the national anthem may I say that takes stones that took some guts because that was a, probably a very very pro trump crowd that had gathered one would imagine and they could have they could have you know turned on him and said seize him um, <laughs> give us give us barabbas or something like that yeah, you don't know so that took some stones and then of course the the god bless american rendition where mm. our uh, president didn't seem mm-hmm. to know quite know all the words mm-hmm. now, i'll say this Maybe I couldn't sing it word for word all by myself without accompaniment, but if I had a whole Marine band, I think I would, and somebody else was singing it, I think I could mimic the words pretty quickly. And if you were the leader of the free world, you may yeah. have taken a paper copy and waltzed it around the White House for a yeah. little while. Yep. Well, it's I, just, a, um, I just wanted to, I just wanted to, the, the crazy thing is the owners thought they were by, oh God, whenever you make a policy that you think pleases all sides, you are guaranteed yeah. to probably. Please nobody. They kind of deserve this, to they, be honest. They, they tried to. They just did, did the sweep it under the carpet routine, and now all it's doing is making it a bigger mess. We thought it was going to go away. Guess what? Now we're talking about it more, and it's guaranteed to linger for months to come. One headline I liked out of minicamp action this week was that Baker Mayfield, your guy, is already up to number two That's with a bullet. Boy. With a bullet in Cleveland, uh, number two on the QB depth chart. How long? Honest answer. How long does Tyrod Taylor hang on to this job in Cleveland? Two months? A month? Is he is he displaced by opening day? I don't think so. But what's your gut? I'd say he gets five games. Five games. I'd say he'll go. Just I, I'm just taking one up. I'll, I'll set it at five games. Four and a half games. How about okay. that? Okay. If you want to do the over-under, now that betting is starting to be illegal. <laughs> also, uh, I'll see you at my new uh, vacation house in Delaware. Now... I just I think you can't give him a full half season if Mayfield looks that good. But Tyrod Taylor started in the NFL last Went year. Went to the playoffs. And yeah, took a team. Now granted, couldn't do much against the Jaguars, but right. he actually might have better weapons around him now. Who knows? He also but, he also lost his job to Nathan Peterman, but oh uh, that was probably a bad decision Oof. on uh, Sean McDermott's mm-hmm. part, not not uh, Tyrod Taylor's fault per se, but um I think Mayfield is. I think Mayfield's going to push him hard. I think this is going to be a ton of fun. This is going to give Hard Knocks some legitimate juice. We may have our best Absolutely. season of Hard Knocks in years. Joe Thomas came out, I believe, and said he thinks his Browns is, are going to win at least eight games. And I, I don't think that's Ooh. crazy. I don't. I mean, I would put him more at six. I got six. Maybe seven. But I think this – look, Josh Gordon, Mayfield came out the other day and said, I've never seen anything like him. We all know how good Josh Gordon can be. In 2012 and 13, he was uncoverable. He was a beast. Uncoverable. Yeah. And I and I believe that he could get back there. Now, which quarterback is going to benefit from that? But the Browns are an intriguing story. Frankly, I'm glad they're on hard knocks. I never thought I would say that. Uh, but I actually I'm, I'm kind of fired up to see how much of a quantum leap this team can take in 2018. When you win one game... Over two seasons, can you imagine what even five wins this season would feel like for Cleveland? Well, I feel like a Super Bowl. Yeah, it would. I mean, it would be reason. It would be reason, absolutely, for that uh, that that parade that they had when they went zero and sixteen, right. walking but, a zero around the stadium. I mean, let them get off to something like a three and one start, Ooh. and I think things could snowball in the right direction for a change. I think I I think a lot of people in the country. I think the country by and large is going to want to adopt them. I think we're all 
secretly going to like be closet we're, Browns fans. We're all Browns fans yeah, now. We are. Yeah, I know. I, I'm I behind them. I think they're going to be fun. I think they're going to be fun to watch, and I think a lot of people, you know, they feel good for a long suffering. It's kind of like you know watching a team that has just been relegated and, and taken every bit of abuse that you can possibly take, and then finally have their have their moment in the sun. Now that's not all going to happen this year, but I do think it's going to happen. Funny you mentioned the relegation thing. I've long thought that some teams have been so consistently bad, and I hate seeing them rewarded time and time again for being so bad. That I thought, and I know it's impossible. Relegation, maybe should actually be a part of the NFL. <laughs> That's right. Imagine that. Well, what Premier if the, soccer. What if the AAF turns out to be great and the two leagues they, partner up? They could relegate teams. You could. Why yes, not? Absolutely. All right. We are joined now, as promised, by Mike Pereira, the current Fox Sports NFL and college football rules analyst, and obviously the longtime NFL VP of officiating. He was the director of officiating, fourteen years in the NFL, fourteen years collegiate football officiating career. You love his work because no one's really ever done it better, or he kind of created the genre. I don't know, Mike, and good morning, and welcome from Sacramento. I don't know if anybody did your job before you technically, but I know that when you started with Fox, I want to say in 2010, after the 09 season, you, you, you kind of filled this void that football fans had, but they didn't know they had. <laughs> they needed somebody to explain in real life, in real time, what was what was just being called on the field, and um, I think football fans have, have come to love your 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 straightforward style, your bluntness, and your ability to call an error an error. Well, you know, it's interesting. I'm not sure that Fox even knew what they had when <laughs> I first went to uh, work there. I remember David Hill saying, "You know, uh, we're going to do something with you, but I don't know what it is." And uh, probably he said an internet presence, and and maybe you can talk to people over the internet and you could maybe, you know, define the rules on the internet. And, um, so, so really originally, um, when I first sat down with them after they contacted me, um, television wasn't part of it. And then as we got closer to the season, they said, well, why don't we try this? And, uh, just for the first week, let's see how it might work. And then the first week in 2010, it involved some guy named Calvin Johnson in the end zone wow. in the game against uh, the Detroit Lions. And and they they then came to me, brought me on air to talk to Tom Brenneman and Brian Billick, who were covering the game. And, and they said, what do you think, as they were reviewing the play? And um, I was scared to death, for one thing. Um, I, I, I also wasn't wasn't lock solid sure what they might do so i kept saying well the rule is you got to hold on to the ball when you hit the ground and and they go okay maybe that's the rule but look at he's got a foot a second foot he turns sideways rolls over ball hits the ground then pops out that's a catch and i said well but the rules finally i think um it was billick that got mad at me and said well what are they gonna do kind (laughs) of screamed at me and i said well i said i think they're gonna stay with the ruling of incomplete and when Gene Steratore walked out and said after reviewing the play, the ruling on the field stands as incomplete, um, you know, the people at Fox, you know, came running in and said, this is perfect. We this might have so something great. here. You explain the, you explain the rule, and, uh, and, and, and now, you know, it's like the, the officials did what you said, what they were going to do, and it was they were like euphoric. And the NFL even called me and said, you know, this is great because you took that play and you took the heat off of the officials and you put the heat on the rule and we'd rather have you know the criticism on the rule than the officials so i was the hero for a week until i criticized the call the following week and and then i was back in the dungeon in regards to the nfl but um you know but that's kind of how the whole thing worked out i was going to say that did not last long in terms of the league office praising you mike um mike Pereira joined uh, on the cover two, joining us on the cover two podcast with Banks and Stevens, Don Banks and Nick Stevens. Um, wanted to ask you: There's so much ground to cover, and we don't have you for long this morning, Mike. Um, you have been quoted as saying, you know, that the new lowering the helmet rule, if indeed it's going to be called in the tackle box, will be impossible to legislate. First and foremost, there's not an official. The umpires quite a ways away from the tackle box for safety reasons these, these days. I believe that Al Riveron came out and said 
that, yes, we're going to call it in the tackle box because he had to, because you have to start there even though he knows the enforcement will either be impossible or very, very seldom, perhaps in, the, in a pulling guard type of situation. When, when it starts counting for real, do you believe that in the side the tackle box really will be subject to this new lower-than-helmet rule? No, I really don't. Um, and, and, and you are absolutely right when you said that Al Riveron has to say what he said because the rule basically covers the entire field and, um, and, and covers every player. But you have to be realistic. I mean, and, and there is, there's just no way that you could consistently officiate this rule in the tackle box. I mean, I do think you can you know, outside of the tackle box, when you get more open space blocks, whether it's a pulling guard out on the edge, you know, you can, you can get those, but the initial contact in the, um, in the charge um, at the, at the line of scrimmage, <coughs> it just can't, it can't be done. And even, even if it's the, you have the umpire back in the original position, uh, uh, he still couldn't do it because remember, you're probably going to have, upwards of five collisions um, and you're going to have one guy basically looking at five collisions and, and they're um, almost immediate collisions on the, on the initial charge. So you, you just can't do it. And so, you know, I, I've been through this before um, yep. in, in my role when I was with the league, you know, I, I said things before the season that because the rules stated they had to be done this way, you have to sell them and, you you sell them, and you know what? We'll probably see some of the calls in the preseason. I mean, so you set an example a little bit in the preseason, um, and and then you know when it comes time, I mean, for the regular season, I, I just don't see those calls being made. Look, if if there is a an egregious hit that happens, you know, on the initial charge, then let the league come in and find the guy afterwards. But I don't think anybody wants to see. I mean, nobody wants to see inconsistent officiating anyways, but nobody's going to want to see inconsistent um, 15-yard penalties applied for helmet hits, crown of the helmet hits, um, and, and have them be wrong. Let's, let's go back to the, the initial uh, crown of the helmet rule change where they said that the runner couldn't lower the helmet and neither could the tackler, and that everybody kind of, you know, before the season started, oh, my God. God, there's going to be nobody, no runner. Everybody, you got to go low. You know the the those the guy that goes the lowest wins. You know there's going to be help. There's going to be five of these, six of these, seven of these called a game. Well, you know, in the first year of this of the new rule with the runner and the tackler, there was one called and it was graded incorrect. Um, in the second second year, there was one call and it was graded incorrect. And then in years three and four, I don't think there were any calls made. So it's a, it's a statement, in my opinion, it's the statement that has been made to the players that is enforceable by fines after the fact. Um, there will be some calls made, but there will be more, in my opinion, there will be more fines than fouls um, at the end of the season when we look back at the change. Which is why I always caution let's not rush to judgment when these new rules came out and when it, when this happened in orlando in late march at the annual meeting i remember writing this reminds me of the crown of the helmet rule five years earlier we were in arizona that year at the annual meeting and emmett smith and other running backs came out and said this is changing the rushing game in the nfl forever and overreaction is what we do these days let's be honest so right. if you right. don't rush to judgment generally the league will come out and they may say it's going to look significant be significant but in in enforcement in reality, in real time, these things usually calm down. Let's switch quickly to the kickoff rules, which I don't think anybody really knows, Mike, how how much the play is going to look significantly different, how much it's going to actually be either a benefit to the kicking or the receiving. No one really knows about this yet. What does your gut tell you uh, as far as how different the kickoff will look and, and play out in the league and who benefits? Well, I've tried to figure out who benefits too, and I can't figure that out either. And and I'm anxious to see because though it's going to look different. I mean, and it, it's going to look different because you're going to have to have eight guys in the box on the receiving team. So eight guys between the 35 and the 50, 
And even on the kick now, you know, you can't cross the 35. I mean, I'm sorry, it would be the 45 and the 40. That's box there. But you can't, the receivers can't cross their initial line until the ball touches the ground or a player. Um, what it's going to look like is a punt. I mean, it's going to look far more like a punt where you don't see double team blocks. So you're not going to have any wedges. They're not going to be allowed. And so you're going to have the receivers retreating, basically, to set up for a what I call a punt return. So it's, 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 it's going to look, I think, really kind of like a punt. And I think there's going to be more returns. I, at least my initial gut is that, you know, because you're holding the receivers, you know, really in that 15-yard box, that if now if you catch a ball, the kickoff three yards deep in the end zone, you might be willing to take that that uh, risk now that you're going to return it beyond the 25, which is where you would get it if you took a knee. You know, however, you put now directional kickoffs into the possibility for the kicking team, um, or are they just going to blast it deep because now their kicking team members they cannot get a running start. They're going to be set, so it's going to take them a second or two to get up to speed to head downfield. I think. I, I think I'm really anxious to see how it is going to pan out. But the one thing I am happy about is that we still have a kickoff. Right. Um, I'm not in the camp that is yet there that wants to see the ball placed at the 25-yard line. Or if you want to attempt the so-called onside kick, make it a fourth and 15, and you get one shot to make a first down. I'm not there yet. I want to see the kickoff. I actually do want to see more returns. And I think with this change, Don, if we see more returns and less injuries, then the kickoff is going to be here to stay. If this makes no impact in the number of injuries, injuries or kickoff still remain the same, then I think the kickoff is history. Yeah. And I think this is the, the last gap measure to keep the kickoff in the game. Mike, this is Don's co-host, Nick Stevens. I just wanted to ask you real quick, if you don't mind, uh, when it comes to the new anthem policy and how that's going to be enforced before the games, I'm curious how you feel about this, but especially if you ever had a moment like this, do you think any of the officials, any of the referees on the field, umpires, et cetera, will have sort of like a crisis of conscience, if you will, that it would, you know, they have to enforce a policy that they may not necessarily agree with. This isn't something where it's cut and dry, like, well, you were clearly holding there or your foot was out of bounds. This is sort of a... You know, it, it goes part and parcel with the league's new policy, but do you wonder sometimes if maybe this will be difficult for some of the officials on the field to call, and how would you handle that? Well, I, you know, somebody asked me would I be comfortable if uh, yes. if I was the official and I had to penalize a uh, player or a team for taking a knee on the sideline during the national anthem. And my response to that was, you know, I'd certainly be very uncomfortable, but I'd do it if I if I was told to do it. But you know, I I can't I can't in my own personal mind I I just can't think of myself penalizing a team or a player for a political statement that is not directed or at all toward an opponent. I mean, it's a it's against. It's against the DNA or my DNA to, to put me in that situation. And when they said they were going to do that, um, I, I thought this was absurd. I mean, I, so we've got the national anthem and, and you've got, you want the players to stand and you want the players to stand in attention, but you want the seven officials to scour the sidelines <laughs> to look and Good see point. if anybody's kneeling. And then, you know, and then it's, Oh, say can you see, and boom, three flags go toward the, the Patriots' bench. That's, that's a good not, look. That's nonsensical. That's nonsensical. And, uh, you know, the, the, whole, the whole thing has gotten to the point where it's gotten to be so political that I think it's kind of sad, and I think that the decision that the NFL made to, you know, tell players if they want to take a knee to stay in the locker room is really a poor decision. Um you know, that's just going to create more hysteria in my mind. And uh, so it's a it's it's like to the point of a no win thing. But for me, I would have I'd have done it if I was told to do it. I mean, that's the 
if it becomes a rule, our job is to enforce the rule, but I, I would have been very uncomfortable. Any chance you think the union, the, the uh, officials union, might have any problem with it? I know it's guesswork, but do you think anybody might well, say, wait a minute? Yeah, I, I do. I mean, I do. When they first talked about this, I would not have been surprised at all if the, you know, if the union, you know, didn't get involved to say, hey, don't put our guys in this position. This is, you know, if you want to do it, I mean, the union probably said, okay, then put somebody in the press box and, and, and somebody in the press box then can look at, you know, all of the players and the coaches and everybody on the sideline and make the determination that way. But I, I you know, the the conversation that started with the officials actually calling the penalty didn't last very long. And thank God, because again, you know, you have jurisdiction. I mean, there's no question about that. You basically have jurisdiction of the game when both teams come out of the field for their warmups and you can call penalties right. and it has been done before kickoff, but they're confrontational penalties right. there for fights that break out before games or, or taunting, or those types of things. Mike but Pereira? It, it would have been a lose-lose. Mike Pereira's been our guest on the Cover 2 podcast. Last 30 seconds. Mike, you have a foundation, you and your wife, Gail, who, by the way, is the brains of the operation that you started, <laughs> to help veterans transition from the military to civilian life by getting them involved in officiating. It's called Battlefields to Ballfields. Give us 30 seconds on that and what it's meant to you. 30 seconds is, I think, veterans who, who return um, it can be great officials. I mean, what did they have to do when they were serving us or fighting, for example? They've got courage. They've got focus. They're part of the team. Um, all of those things that really make good officials. And I've thought about the struggles of the veterans, and I've also thought about the shortage of officials, amateur officials around the country. So we give, a, we give scholarships to veterans. Um, you know, to become sports officials, we gave 108 out in our first year, which we thought was pretty incredible. Um, we even have a little pocket of them in Rochester, New York, where I'll be next week to meet with our seven veterans there who are now officiating, including one that's doing uh, ice hockey. So it's, it's getting our veterans back into the community by serving again, working with kids on the local level, officiating their games, not just football, any sport. So we're very proud of it, and it's um, it's growing quickly. And uh, we hope to get to the point soon where we get a thousand veterans that are out there working on the fields with our kids. As opposed to the anthem policy the league just instituted, that is a win-win situation. Mike Pereira, uh, Fox Sports NFL and College Football Rules analyst, has been our guest on the Cover Two podcast with Banks and Stevens. Mike, all the best, and I, I you know I'm not wrong about uh, my assessment of Gail. I've met her; uh, she is the brains of the operation. <laughs> Well, I'll be sure to tell her that in five seconds right now. Thank you, Mike. Hit him straight today. All the best. See you. Thanks, Mike. He's going straight to the golf course. He wins. That's we he, lose. Uh, his life to me is the big win-win. <laughs> he, he, first, uh, he, A, I just want to say I really appreciate him. It's not like I asked him the easiest question in the world. No. And great, he tackled great, it head great on. Question, and great question. Great answer. Great perspective. Great perspective. Talking about how... It, uncomfortable they might be how difficult the enforcement may be and yeah he actually took a stand on it as opposed to and he could have easily deferred and just said i'd rather not he talk said about he would that. do it but he would be very uncomfortable he'd right. hate to do it yes. and he admitted that that there's going to be some you know that's a tough no did anyone think that out the referees are supposed to stand at attention and yet now they're supposed to be scrutinized right <laughs> scrutinizing now have, the sideline who's doing someone in a, doing it in a box or the refs are supposed to do it on the field that's cue a, up the benny hill music ugh, what a it, mess but also good point at the beginning of the chat with mike about how he went from basically just sort of like being a new feature, one of the best new features in football now. Right. And everyone in their broadcast has to have a Mike Pereira. ESPN has one. NBC needs one. They have them in college football. It's great to be able to go to the refs, and I like the spin he put on it. This is not about calling out, you know, his the fellow umpires and referees on the field. This is more drawing attention to the rule and the way it should be interpreted. Oh, and we forgot to ask him about Super Bowl 52. But we know where he stands. Oh, that's true. That they changed the standard of officiating I was just in ask time for the big game. If the standard of officiating, he has been on the record as right. saying he believes that the standard of officiating was tweaked during the postseason and obviously made an impact on on the two calls or right. at least one call in the Super Bowl. I believe he said both of them should not be, but at least the first one, the it was Corey Grant. 
uh, Corey Clement. Corey Clement, thank yes. you. Yes, Corey Cor- Clement's catch. Should uh, not have been a touchdown. Not so much on the Zach Ertz touchdown, right. I remember. But anyway, yeah, we did. We ran out of time and too many good topics. Um, I liked I liked the fact that Fox didn't even know how they were going to use him. And then in week one, talk about being thrown into the deep end. The Calvin Johnson catch rule bites uh, takes a chunk out of him right away, but he nailed it. Mm-hmm. And, man, Fox must have been running in going, we got something here. We yeah. got somebody who can talk in real time and explain this and be right. And, I mean, everybody that has made a dollar since uh, from that particular rules analyst role on TV sh- should tithe Mike Pereira. Um, they don't know. just need a Mike Pereira. You want Mike Pereira. You just heard how right. articulate he is right. and how he explains things without – Fansplaining, if you will, he does You know, he's th- fearless. You right. know how many times he's ticked off the league office Oops. since he left the fraternity. Right. So many, I mean, countless times. And and sometimes, you know, maybe the league office is right, and he's he's seen something there that wasn't there. Uh, but that's what fans respect about when they watch him. They know they're going to get kind of an unvarnished view of what he really believes. Um, I was just going to say, you as writer and keeper of the league, and I, as super fan of football, really appreciate when somebody puts it in plain terms like that for all of us to palate and process. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's refreshing, and I think everybody that watches Mike Pereira knows, you know what, this guy's a pro, and you're going to get you're going to get you know honesty, and he's he's willing to admit when you know friends of his blow things on national TV. Mm-hmm. He's willing to call out former colleagues and that's tough right that's i mean that, that would be a very tough gig heaven uh, forbid there be some accountability in right the exactly okay we're joined now by an old friend of mine adam schefter nfl insider for espn adam welcome to the cover two podcast where are we finding you this morning are you at home or are you at, uh, in new york hello there, don i am in bristol connecticut uh, at espn headquarters just getting ready for a day of nfl programming here Thank you. Thank you for being with us. want to jump right in. Yesterday, obviously, Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski returned to Foxborough, the two prodigal sons, for mandatory minicamp. wonder how much of this story you think. I, I, I've, I have said all along, I think OTAs in general are somewhat overblown team activities, and this is not going to make a huge difference come the fall. But I wonder how much of this story you believe we're still talking about come September 9th week one opener, that they weren't here for much of the offseason? On September 9th, not at all. Yep. I don't think it will be a factor. I mean, we'll have gone through training camp at that point in time. We'll have seen what they could do throughout the preseason, not that they'll play very much then, and they'll be gearing up to play that opener. I don't think anybody will remember that they weren't there for OTAs. Now, again, everybody's trying to divine the meaning of it and figure out exactly is there any sort of signs of discord. Look, you know, I, I think it'd be much better if they were there but in the grand scheme of things, the fact they weren't, I don't think it's going to impact their season very much. That's me. But let's see if that's proven right or not, Don. wonder if there was – obviously, Gronk said that his his uh, representatives are talking contract adjustment, tweak, whatever you want to mm-hmm. call it. Any significant update on that front, or you just believe the two sides are talking and that at some point the Patriots will probably throw him some sort of financial incentive package again this year? Well, I would guess that that would be the case, Tom, but I would also say this to you, that it's a, it's an interesting situation from both sides because you have the player who contemplated retirement during the offseason. You had a team that contemplated trading him during the offseason. And so you've got two groups with two divergent point of views that don't necessarily coincide with what you would figure to be a contract extension. Now, saying that, you're talking about the most feared tight end in all of football. And... He does have two years left, and he's not paid like the top tight ends in the game right now, right at the top of the list. But, again, that was the decision that he made when he signed that contract. But then again, in football, you get what you can when you get it. I'm all for players getting everything that they can whenever they can. So it just it, – it, there's a lot of challenging circumstances that surround the situation. And obviously, I'm sure Gronk would like to get more money. Who wouldn't? And I'm sure the Patriots will look into doing something – but, but they're not just going to go tear up the last two years of the deal and give him some new deal that makes him the number one highest paid tight I don't think that that would be very unpatriot-like uh, to see it go down that way. 
Uh, is there something in there, some sort of compromise for all sides to figure out? I would think that there would be, but I don't think it's a simple deal to get done. Uh, Adam, this is Don's co-host, Nick Stevens. I heard yesterday Gronk said, you know, who wouldn't want to get their contract reworked? And, you know, maybe something does come down the line, but obviously, you know, he did say that he thought it was in his body's best interest. He had to do what he needed to do to get his body right in the offseason. And, you know, given his talent level and the importance he brings to the team, I, it, it seems to me, you know, and I'm a big Patriots fan, it seems to me to only be fair. Uh, before I get to the question I want to ask you, I just want to ask you as a as a fan of your work and for all NFL fans, how many cell phones do you have and do you actually ever sleep? Well, thank you. You know, I, I have two phones and I, I mean, basically, I sleep in bursts is the way I describe it. I knew it. How, I mean, I, how many burner sleep. accounts, though, Adam? Come on. Uh, less than Brian Clange. <laughs> Good answer. Um, so just a few minutes ago, before we hopped on the phone, Adam, uh, Doug Peterson came out and said about the whole Eagles White House visit fiasco that's gone on this week. Uh, I think he kind of just put the fire out and put it all to bed, saying succinctly, quote, what you've seen and what you've heard is enough. Uh, can you just sort of give us your take on how this all went down? And do you think the Super Bowl champion visit to the White House going forward is dead? Well, I, I think that, first of all, let me say this. I, I think that a lot of people a lot of people are turned off by the whole topic. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't love talking about it. I understand that football and politics overlap here, so really there there's little choice but to address it. Um, what I would say here, what happened is that the there was a large group of Eagles, a large group, that were not going to go to the White House, whether that's, you know, 95% of them, 90%. I, I don't know the exact number, but, I, you know, I've been told in the days leading up to this that, that there was a large group of players that didn't want to go and weren't going to go. And then what happened was the Eagles put together a delegation to represent the organization. And I, I don't know who exactly was in that delegation, but it was some relatively small delegation that was going to go meet the president and represent the Eagles. And obviously... In my mind, when the president heard about that, he just canceled the trip. You know, either you all come or no one's coming. And that's, in my mind, the way that this unfolded, the way I understood it to be. And I, I think, look, we've already heard the NBA players, LeBron, Steph Curry, say that you know they're not going to go if either of their teams win the NBA championship here. Yeah, I, I think that you know, right when I heard this news, my first reaction was, "Ooh, I, I, I'll bet that this puts." other potential White House visits of future championship teams in jeopardy. Yeah, yeah. Not that it matters one way or another, but it's always been a big tradition. It's, it, I think it's been great for the people who win the championships. It's been great for the president. Uh, there, there's very little downside, but, but we're living in a different age and climate here where uh, there are issues that you wouldn't expect to be issues that suddenly are. And so um, I would think that there's a real chance that we won't see an NFL team visit the Super Bowl during the Trump presidency again. That's possible, yes. Yeah. Adam, you and I have covered this league since 1990. I just wondered, is it your sense that the league is aware that perhaps this was a self-inflicted wound with the new policy and that is there any chance, mm -hmm. any buzz between the, the power brokers in the league and the ownership that maybe a modification between now and September is possible, an acknowledgement mm -hmm. that – They've invited the same scrutiny and criticism as kneeling by keeping players in the locker room? I haven't heard that. And I'll also say to you, Don, that I haven't actively called around to check on that. It's not something that uh, I've done actively. So maybe people are reconsidering. Look, you know, I, I go back to last October when the owners were meeting, and Jeffrey Lurie, ironically enough, the owner of the Philadelphia Eagles, told the other owners, don't take the president's bait. Don't fall for this. Just ignore it. And the other owners decided not to do that. And they have come up with the policies that they have, issued the statements that they have, when to me, the issue, this is just my sense, the issue is dying down, could have been left alone, and when the league opened it back up again, fearful of what the president may say or do, it basically exposed the topic again in a way that made it such that it's become a big conversation point. It's been a polarizing issue. And I think if you look back over the NFL in recent years, concussions, domestic violence, um, DUIs, dogs, 
misconduct, whatever you want, uh, scandals, I don't think there's been any issue over the last decade plus, uh, maybe longer, that has impacted the NFL's business the way that this has. And I think the league has been desperate to come up with some sort of solution to stop the bleeding here. And it's been unable to do it. And, and every time it tries to aid the situation, it, it seems to make it worse. Adam, we got mini camps back to football. You know, thank goodness we can actually still talk football. Uh, back, mini camps are going right now. Um, who's turning heads from what you're hearing? Any buzz? Uh, you know, what, what does that mean? Mini, you know, turning heads in seven on seven drills. Yeah. Right. In shorts. Who's turning heads? Yeah. Uh, President Trump is turning heads. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I had read. I had read. Tremaine Edmonds was looked great. It's seven on sevens. Uh, I know up in I Buffalo. Mean, let, me, let, me, let me say this to you. I mean, yeah, I, you know. Kendrick Bourne in San Francisco is look good in drills. You know how many, you know how many players I've seen look good in drills in in June. That when they play in August, it, it evaporates. It, yeah, I mean, you know, oh yeah, you know, I remember one year in camp, Broncos couldn't believe how how good Chris Howard, the running back from Michigan, looked, and he got into the first preseason game and fumbled, you know, three of his first carries, and that was it. So, I, you know, I. I just don't think it means very much, yeah. you know, who, who looks good. You know, I, I ask the same questions, you know, when I'm on the phone with teams and, and, and you're always good. And, 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 and when you ask it, they, you know, ah, you know, you know oh, the rookies look pretty good. The Against air is not yeah. how football is supposed to be played. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are guys that make some nice early impressions for whatever that's worth on June 6th. Yeah, I absolutely agree. All right, last thing, lightning round. Which of the five first-round quarterbacks, this is pure speculation, but we love it, and you do too, um, which of the five do you believe first-round quarterbacks, Darnold, Mayfield, Allen, Rosen, or Jackson, is the first one into a starting lineup? Josh Rosen would be my guest today. Yeah, I, I don't I don't disagree with you. I think I think most people would pick Sam Darnold, but I actually think Rosen might win Wait, that hold job. On. Is it Darnold or Darnold? Darnold, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm can saying we get it a ruling official Darnold. ruling on this, please? Uh, Darnold. Yeah, yeah, but Don, you're you're like the third person that's called him Darnold to me. I'm like, what No. I got it wrong. Darnold. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. Darnold, Darnold. All right. I heard it from a bunch of people. I'm like, Am I missing something? Do here? not like, second did, guess yourself. Did he, did he change his name that I'm unaware of? Okay, but go ahead. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's Anthony Dorsett now. Um, Dorsey. Yeah, Dorsey. Of the two big remaining free agents, and I say that only from name value, Des Bryant and Adrian Peterson, do they go all the way to camp without jobs and take your best stab as to where they land uh, if they do? Yeah, I, would, I, would, I wouldn't place them because, again, I, I just wouldn't do that. Um, we, we, we've been unable to do it so far. So I'm not going to guess on teams, but you know I, th- I think we're going right up to yeah, right around the start of camp, maybe even into camp. Who knows? Like it could just be that each guy needs an injury at a certain spot. I but, agree with that. Bill Bar- Barnwell of ESPN uh, actually said Packers for Des Bryant and Cowboys well, for Peterson makes some sense. I don't think it's and wait, he said he said the Packers for for uh, for Des and who for Peterson? Uh, Cowboys. I, if I were to give a guess on Peterson, I, I, I mean, this wouldn't the Saints make some sense? Yeah, and I think even Houston makes some sense. I think Houston makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, the, the, to me, the Saints or the – I'll go the Saints or the Texans as a guess on Peterson, and, and I don't have a guess on Des because yeah. they're in – you know, look, look the, the day he was cut, I think I posted a tweet that there were four teams – that I think would show interest, and I and I list them at that time as Buffalo, Arizona, Green Bay, and Baltimore. Well, Baltimore offered him right three years, twenty one million. He didn't take it. Buffalo has has had a certain Buffalo and Arizona have had a certain level of interest. Um, uh, I I don't know that he's been overly interested in in going there. And then Green Bay, um, you know, Jason Witten, my colleague, my new colleague at here at ESPN suggested that the two places that would fit best for Des would be New Orleans and Green Bay. And you know, the Packers said, yeah, well, maybe, but but it's certainly not imminent. So you just haven't sent, you haven't heard any urgency from anybody regarding Des right now. Yep. And it's going to take an injury. I believe yeah, it's going to take an injury. And, and sometimes when that happens, that, that you, you, need, you need the dynamics around the situation to change. Adam, I know you're a big basketball fan. You get to do a little coverage for the worldwide leader. 
What do you think? Cavs get swept, or are they going to win one? I would think that they win one. The Warriors have lost at least one road game in every series, and I just think that LeBron is too good and too proud to, to be swept. Um, and Golden State's the better team. I think they won the championship. The question is, is it four, five, six games? If I had a guess today, I would say five games. ESPN NFL insider Adam Schefter has been our guest on the Cover 2 podcast. Adam, we've been friends since 1990. Thanks for the time this morning, and uh, hope to have you back on the show. Uh, happy mini camping. <laughs> thank, thank you, guys. I appreciate it. We'll be in touch. Have a great day. All the best. Thanks for the candor, Adam. Appreciate it very much. you got to take care. It, uh, he answered that exactly as I would have. I'm sorry, yep. the OTA question. I just think there's so – it's, a, it's so, a fair answer. He, but, he admits he asked yeah. it himself. Sure. But, when you're asking that as a reporter, and I've right. done it many, many times on the phone, you know you're kind of setting yourself up for, what do I know? You know, it's against air, it's in shorts, sure. they flash, but does it ever meaning? Sometimes you do see something from a guy that carries over to the fall. But so many times, it's just the difference between playing catch with your dad in the backyard and and you know catching a Tom Brady yeah. pass or or throwing the ball with your dad I remember little as a little kid man oh boy I was throwing the heat at my dad in the backyard I got on the mound in little league and I couldn't find the plate with a you know yeah. GPS and a set of directions just saying though it's interesting that he did say that he had he feels compelled to ask the same question Absolutely. so because you know coming we, from the fan perspective i want to ask that question cuz we're all looking for a storyline to latch onto it comes back to if we're going to invest ourselves and our energy in, into the coverage at this time of year when nothing truly significant all that significant is happening we're going to imbue it with importance and therefore there must be some takeaways from it or or meaning you know to what we're watching out there as it relates to the fall when the reality it largely right. doesn't it yeah, doesn't. I mean, They're yeah. learning their paces, basically. Sure. Well, Mayfield's already second up the depth chart. Right. You hear the buzz coming out of Buffalo that this kid looks like a seasoned veteran middle linebacker already as a rookie. Right. Dalvin Cook is cleared. You know, he must obviously look good. Brady looks good. Throwing a Kenny Britt. It, it, yeah, like you said, I think that actually was my favorite line of the podcast. You know, football isn't played against air. Right. It's not. And, and we forget that every year and right. relearn it. Like... The perceptions that we have all throughout the offseason built meticulously, brick by brick, how many times have we seen them blown up to smithereens on week one or maybe week two, you know? And then you write the, oh, you know, the over overreaction to week one type of column. Um, it's been a good podcast. I think anytime you get Mike Pereira and Adam Schefter to talk a little offseason football Name and another rules. football show on television, the Internet, that had that level of guests yeah. on a Wednesday in June. It, it is tough sometimes to uh, get people to want to uh, talk football in June, but uh, we thank Pereira and Adam Schefter because they are both kind of shed some nice light on the topics that are percolating right now. For another Cover 2 podcast with Banks and Stevens, I'm Don Banks. Nick, thank you. Good job. Follow Don on Twitter at Don Banks. I'm at Ahoy Nick Stevens. And for us now, we're off to the Red Sox. Where tonight. are we going tonight, Nick? Fenway Park, baby. That's right. Beat those Tigers. Talk next week, everyone. Thank you for downloading the Cover 2 podcast from Patriots.com. Second and goal to go from the two. Toss sweep right for James White. Cuts it under the red arm. Cuts it upfield. Driving forward. It's diving to the goal line. It's still a touchdown. It's still and a title for the Patriots. It. I can't believe it. They have completed the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. Log on to Patriots.com anytime for more news and more podcasts covering your favorite team and all things NFL.